0: Today we are celebrating Epiphany, the Epiphany of our Lord. And as we said, Epiphany, well, it ends the 12 days of Christmas, but really, Epiphany is a continuation of the season of Christmas. We are in enjoying and in hearing the. We are enjoying and hearing these great pieces from the corollaires that remind us of just that. As we've been talking about, Epiphany means to reveal, to make manifest. And that's what our celebration tonight is truly all about. At Christmas, Jesus came to us, was revealed to us. And now throughout the season of Epiphany, we take time to consider how it is that Jesus has not only come to us and been revealed to us, but truly to the whole, and, to the whole world and to all people. My family and I were able to take a few days to travel to Wisconsin Uh, This uh, between Christmas Day and and New Year's Eve, we had a couple days where my siblings, most of my siblings and their families, my, my mom, my grandmother, even some other relatives, we were all together, almost 20 people under one roof. It was wonderful. Maybe you had some time to spend with family over the holidays as well. And I pray you had uh, as wonderful moments as we did. There was gathering around meals, there was the exchanging of gifts, the telling of stories, all that you would otherwise hope for in a getting together with family. It got me thinking, though, wouldn't it be unexpected and, and actually quite strange if while my family was in the midst of our special time together, some strangers showed up at the door, completely uninvited, and joined in on those festivities. We'd all be sitting around wondering, well, did you invite them? No, I didn't invite them. Did you invite them? And wouldn't it be even stranger if those uninvited guests showed up at the the door and joined in on the festivities, but those strangers would be the last people that you would expect to join in on a Christmas celebration. I can only imagine if some well-known atheists today like Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris were the ones who arrived ready to celebrate Christmas with my family. And finally, wouldn't it even be stranger yet if Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris showed up at the door, began genuinely celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, while the rest of my family sat around doing nothing of the sort, or perhaps even stranger yet, didn't even bother to show up for the celebration at all. You see how far-fetched this is getting, right? Or is it? You see, this is not so dissimilar from what happens in the Gospel of Matthew as he recounts the appearance of the Magi, a very real historical moment when guests that you would otherwise assume were the most uninvited guests suddenly become the invited ones. You see, by now we're all probably pretty familiar with the Epiphany story, with the story of the Magi, but we may underestimate or even underappreciate how strange of an account it actually is. When Matthew's original audiences either read or heard his gospel for the very first time, this would have been completely shocking to them, maybe even seemingly scandalous to them. And so that begins for us tonight. It begins with us understanding who the Magi were. Now, you'll notice that I'm not calling them wise men. And it's because the word there in Greek, in the original Greek, is magoi, or in English, magi. And furthermore, wise men is a bit of a misnomer because that implies that we consider them extremely intelligent people, as if their wisdom were a positive characteristic that they were bringing to the worship of Jesus. Now, the the wise men, the magi, were certainly wise in some ways. They would have very likely been Arab or Persian advisors to a king, not kings themselves. They would have been steeped in studying all sort of religious texts that they could get their hands on, all sorts of religions from around the world, the the arts and sciences of the day. They would have studied astronomy. They also would have studied astrology and superstitious practices, maybe even experimenting with, with evil or supernatural forces in dark ways. Suffice it to say, for the religious in Israel and for us today, these are not the people that we would consider having God-given wisdom, but rather quite the opposite. And you can see why, if you were hearing or reading Matthew's Gospel for the first time, you would have been shocked to hear that it's not the devoted religious leaders who came seeking the Christ child, but actually people that they would have thought as pagan fools. Perhaps that's why Matthew words it the way he does. In Matthew 2, verse 1, he says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, in other words, look, check it out, something strange is happening. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Because everyone had to have been wondering, what were they doing here? the next thing we realize as we dig deeper into Matthew's account is that the Magi didn't arrive because they had figured all this out for themselves. It wasn't their great wisdom that brought them seeking Jesus. It was clearly by God's direction. They saw something true in the night sky that indicated that a king of the Jews had been born. Maybe even while Israel had been in exile in their history, they would have had access to some of those prophecies about a, a star and a king. And so their assumption was that they could find this king at the palace in Jerusalem. Makes sense, right? And that's why they go to King Herod. But Herod and the chief priests and the scribes are completely caught off guard by this. Verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. They had no idea what the Magi were talking about, which tells us something else that God had now directed some ignorant pagans to go looking for the Savior, while the religious leaders, who should have known better, were staying put in the capital. We'll come back to that. But the chief priests and the scribes do tell them that the Messiah wasn't expected to be born in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem, the city of David, the once great king. In fact, we know that it's not the Magi's wisdom that was driving everything going on because they appear naive enough to believe that Herod would also like to worship the new king, when all in reality, all he wants to do is to eliminate the threat. If you know anything from history about Herod the Great, you know that he was a rage-filled, narcissistic, and paranoid ruler who wasn't afraid to kill anyone he thought was gunning for his spot, even his own family. In verse 7, it says, Herod summoned the Magi secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Uh, presumably, it had been two years earlier, because later on, Herod is going to have all the boys in Bethlehem under, to and under killed, again, to protect his throne. Verse 8, he sent the Magi to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, send me word so that I too may come and worship him. It will be God's direct intervention again, speaking to the Magi in a dream, telling them not to return to Herod. Which goes to show that Herod was only operating with an illusion of control, an illusion of kingship. The real control, the real kingship, belonged to God. And not only God, but God in human flesh, a young child Jesus who wasn't in Jerusalem, but rather in the lowly town of Bethlehem. And that's when we see God directly intervene one more time in verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, again, Matthew's way of saying, look, check it out. Something strange is happening. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Some characterize that star that led the Magi as only a natural phenomenon, and it certainly could have been, because it had to have looked natural enough for a lot of people to flat out miss it, people who should have seen it, But however it looked, there's no doubt that this is God uniquely leading these magi, these specific people, directly to Jesus. After all, the the star somehow reappeared to them and led them to that specific house in Bethlehem. And so in the end, that's pretty supernatural. And we ask, as I'm sure many of the original readers or hearers of Matthew's gospel did, again, what are they Doing here. These unexpected, uninvited, ignorant pagans were somehow the ones who got the invitation. And what's more, were the ones who showed up while, you th- while the people you think would be invited, and indeed were, didn't bother showing up. And that's exactly the point. God had a hand in bringing these specific people directly to Jesus to demonstrate something. That an invitation to Jesus isn't based on our merits or qualifications. And that tells us something about how we are invited and how we come to Jesus today. You see, if an invitation to Jesus was based on our wisdom, the Magi don't really have a reason to be there. Despite all their supposed worldly wisdom, they still proved to be naive and ignorant of of what was really going on. And yet, they were there because God wanted them there. And if an invitation to Jesus was based on who seems the most powerful and in control, then Herod should have been there. But Herod, not even Herod, could manipulate the situation to his liking. And his plans were foiled by the one who was truly in control. And if an invitation to Jesus was based on who's the most religiously qualified, Then the chief priests and the scribes should have been there. Or at the very least, after the Magi showed up asking about the star, they should have realized their mistake and followed the Magi to Bethlehem. But they didn't. And you see, that's the point. Add up all of our qualifications, add up all of our merits, add up all of the things that we think are good and valuable that should set us apart in in God's eyes. And we realize that none of it actually earns us a spot. Before Jesus. Instead, an invitation to believe and trust in Jesus as our Savior comes solely from God and from His grace and from His love. You can't get to Him without it. And the fact that it comes to some pagan astrologist from a different country also tells us something. Paul talks about this. He talks about this and calls it the mystery of Christ in our epistle reading. The mystery, he says, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, this is a surprising mystery. The salvation that Jesus was bringing to the world by being born as a human, by living a perfect life, by dying for our sins, by rising again. This wasn't only for the Israelites, but it was going to be for everyone, which includes the Israelites. But time and time again, you see the the Israelites, the insiders, so to speak, the ones who should have known what Jesus was doing, you see them not getting it at all. They assume that because of who they were or, or what they did, that they were fine. They assumed they didn't need a Savior from sin and death. And so they ended up rejecting him. Look at the Apostle Paul, after all, who persecuted the early Christians until he was approached by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Paul and the Magi, they demonstrate They demonstrate what it takes to understand, what it takes to be invited. And it's nothing about us. It's nothing about you or me or them. You see, God has to come to us. God has to turn our sin-hardened hearts by his forgiveness, by his love, by his grace, into hearts of faith. We cannot do it on our own. But he has already done it for each and every one of us. Through his word, through his sacraments, through the working of the Holy Spirit, you have been claimed by him, not the other way around. In Matthew 16, after Peter Peter makes his great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus replies to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And God the Father has shown each and every one of us, we who are are very likely lowly Gentiles, a once ignorant people, he has shown to us his Son, Jesus Christ. We were the uninvited, but God has graciously invited us to find him. And he provides us the way to do just that through faith. That's what we come to realize as we hear this evening about the Magi. That's the shocking development that takes place in Matthew's Gospel, that God is actually interested in inviting those we assumed were the uninvited. And Matthew's Gospel doesn't stop there, of course, because in light of that, we see Jesus' work of salvation continue all the way to the cross and all the way to the empty tomb. And we know that Jesus didn't only come for some, but that he came for. For all. And as we think about what this means for our lives today, in particular our Christian lives and our Christian witness to others, it can't help but have a profound impact. Because we realize that just as God has invited us, He now equips us to participate in that invitation process to others. He's taking care of the salvation earned for us by Jesus. He continues to take care of the, the creating and the sustaining of faith in human hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit. But he uses us as his hands and his feet and his mouth to share with others this good news. In a book by author Tom Rainer called I Will, he explains that in a study, eight out of ten people who do not currently attend church will likely come if someone they know invites them. Eight out of ten. And yet, most unchurched people will live their whole lives never receiving that invitation. Whether it's because we're too timid Or too cautious about offending them. Or too uncomfortable extending that invitation in the first place. But it's something that we as Christians need to do. It's something that we get to do. And we shouldn't be afraid. After all, God's amazing work of salvation is all about inviting the uninvited. That's how we got here. And now it's our responsibility. It's our joy to do the same. We can help provide someone else an opportunity like those Magi had an opportunity long ago to encounter the Messiah Jesus, to have God work in their lives and in their hearts that they too may come and worship him. And if someone isn't ready to make a leap into attending church services, it can be a great idea to invite them to a Bible study or a fellowship event or a Wednesday night service or a Corollaires concert. Not a strong arm tactic, not a hard sell, just a genuine, thoughtful invitation to come and see. Not all will come, but some will. And for them, like the Magi, like for us, it will make an eternity of difference. In Jesus' name, amen.